Welcome to Hunting Land. If you like to stay up to date on hunting tactics, land management, land values, and land market dynamics, this is a podcast for you. I'm Joe Baya here with my co-host Clint Flowers, and this week's show is brought to you by Southern Yankees. Right now for sale, Southern Yankees has around 60 does and bucks that are mule deer hybrids. Most are 50% mule deer genetics. The 75% and greater muley genetics look and hop as mule deer do. These animals are not being sold as game animals. A high fence enclosure is required for ownership. They are produced by world-class mule deer sires. Southern Yankees Deer Farm, 256-990-3838. Any and all state laws will be followed prior to commencement of any final proposal to sell or the actual sale of these animals. This is void where prohibited by law. Well, Clint, this week's show, we're going to be talking a little bit later about hunting with silencers, suppressors, whatever you like to call them. We're hunting with suppressors this week. We're going to learn a lot about choosing the right style, if you should or shouldn't. Have you had the opportunity to shoot suppress or hunt suppressed yet? No, this year's going to be my first. I'm looking forward to it. It's one of those things that you don't know you need it until you do it. And it makes such a big difference to be able to suppress a high-powered rifle and shoot it without hearing protection. It's a lot of fun for kids, a lot of fun for your hunting property and not feeling like you're making a ton of racket. I just really enjoy it. We're going to be learning all about that a little later on with Mike Pappas. He's the founder of Dead Air Silencers. But before we get there, we got to stay up to date on our land interest rates a lot of things are shaking up here first month of 2021. Let's go check in with Logan Chapel, of Farm Credit in Northwest Florida. See what's going on. Logan, welcome to Hunt Land, man. Before we get into the uh, interest rates, tell us a little bit about what you do at Farm Credit in Northwest Florida. Thanks, Joe. It's good to be on with you this morning. I'm a loan officer at Farm Credit of Northwest Florida. I work out of the Mariana office. I specialize in all types of agriculture from recreational properties, timberlands, row crop land, cattle land, anything that you're looking to do with land, I can help you with. We've got offices all across the Panhandle. We cover Scambia and Santa Rosa County all the way over to Madison and Taylor County. If you're looking for land in the Panhandle, uh, we certainly got you covered with long-term fixed rates there. Well, we get a lot of folks that are listening to this podcast that are not from the Panhandle of Florida. But here we are, second week of January. We're going into the peak of the rut. We got about a month here of pre-rut and rut activities for whitetail deer. So that's got a lot of guys with their mind on hunting land. And I know you guys do do loans for those kind of things. And before we get into what the specific rates are right now, what do you expect to see as we go into 2021 here? We're going to have a change in our president. Are there any cyclical changes to interest rates that you see in the first quarter of the year or do you see any economic trends or, or any actions by the fed that you think are gonna lead to changing rates or, and what are the rates doing right now are they going up going down what are y'all seeing yeah so through 2020 interest in land uh, as far as folks wanting to purchase land and the, the loans that we've been processing that's remained really strong we've had a lot of business folks have been getting contracts. There's a lot of land listed in our area. So that's been strong and it seems like it's going to continue to be strong through the first quarter of 21. Values in land have also stayed pretty constant and and seem like they're going to hold as of right now being two weeks into the first quarter. And, And as we all know, rates took a big dive in early 2020, right after we found out about the COVID pandemic and it really started to impact the United States. Since then, rates have really uh, maintained those record lows. They fluctuated a little bit, but still stayed in the record low territory. They've stabilized a lot in the last half of 2020 and have remained stable so far into 21. And I can't project what's going to happen necessarily into the whole first quarter. And I don't know that any of the cyclical cycles that we've seen in past years would necessarily fit 2021 because there are so many different things going on with the uh, pandemic and we we now have the vaccine coming out so it's yet to be seen how how the vaccine is going to impact our economy and if it's going to be effective like we think it may i don't know that any cycles that have typically played out 
in a year like this. I don't know that that's necessarily going to fit what we're going to experience in 2021. So right now I can tell you that rates have been stable from day to day and week to week over the uh, the past several weeks. And I'm hoping that it will stay that way uh, if our economy can remain stable. Logan, what type of property is hot in the panhandle right now? Do you have a a specific type of land that you're seeing more people buying than another type? Is it farmland or recreational land, or is it a good mix of everything? Yeah, there definitely is a focus on timberland right now, it seems like. Uh, And timberland that maybe has a little bit of pasture land or a little bit of cropland on it. Most of it is going to be used as recreational property. Some of it may be landowners buying adjoining properties, but a lot of it is recreational type properties, either 100% timberland or like I said, maybe a little bit of uh, diversity in there with some cropland and pasture land mixed in. And specifically, undamaged timberland, because that's the big thing in the panhandle now that we've had several hurricanes come through and really put a big hurt on the timber industry. So timber properties that have minimal damage are really, really getting a lot of interest right now. Logan, you're talking about timberland and specifically, let's get into timberland that already has merchantable stands of trees on it. Talk me through the process of what you're doing when a buyer wants to pre-sell timber before they close on the property and how that can affect what they're able to do when it comes to purchasing a property, why they would want to do that. Yeah, so this is something that we have uh, worked with folks on a time or two. Like you said, a lot of people may not know about this option, and it's not something that we do uh, just very often, but it is something that we're absolutely willing to work with a borrower on. So if you have a property that you've got a contract on and you know that it's got mature stands on it that are ready to be harvested, you're able to get in touch with a timber company. And if they're willing to contract with you to cut your merchantable timber within a certain time period, we can use that contract to help you put less money down and you would go into the deal having some extra equity in the property. So uh, absolutely something, and it's going to be kind of particular to each deal, but the main thing is if you are able to secure some sort of contract with a timber company prior to closing. So, I mean, effectively it would allow a borrower who may think that their limit might be X, their limit on properties they could purchase might be 1.2, 1.3, 1.4 X, depending on how much timber is there. I think that's the big thing. A lot of times when people are searching online or they contact somebody like me and Clint, they say, I'm looking for this. They've got this limit in mind. And sometimes thinking outside the box, they they may be able to get more than what they think for the same amount of money they had originally intended. Yeah. If we can look at that contract and say, well, this timber company is guaranteeing this borrower so much money within the first six months to a year of the loan that we know this loan is going to be paid down, we can definitely account that in the cash flow that we are using in our credit analysis for approval. Yeah, I like that. I like that option, Timberland, amongst many uh, reasons. That's just one reason why it's attractive right now. Well, let's get into those rates, man. I mean, first and foremost, before we talk about specific rates, talk to me about the different type of loan products that you guys most commonly use for people that are buying land, basically the different terms that are available. Yeah. So we typically do long-term fixed rates. We try to stay away from the balloon loans, and especially in a low rate environment like we are, it's really not advantageous for us to to put you on a balloon. So uh, you're going to get a better deal going with the long-term anyways. We can go up to 20 years on land. And for 20 years, we require 20% down, or you are also able to uh, use additional collateral. So if you are buying 100 acres and we require 20% down on that purchase, but you already own 20 acres or 30 acres or 40 acres or whatever it may be, you own that free and clear, you can actually use that to put up for that 20% instead of coming out of pocket for that down payment. 
So that's a great option if you already own some land, you have that free and clear. That works for any term that we offer. So the next term, 15 years, is a common one that we do. And for 15 years, we require 15% down. So a little less money down there and the rate gets better. And and I'll go back through in a moment and go through all the rates. But a 20-year, 15-year, 10-year, 10-year stays with the 15% down and so does five-year. So as far as rates are concerned, 20-year, and I'm going to give you a range because there's a lot of factors that play into the rates, the borrower's credit strength and the size of the loan. So several factors there that play in, but I can tell you that based on today's rate, the 20-year loan is going to be somewhere in the mid 4% up to right at 5% right now. For the 15-year, you're talking about the low to mid 4% range. 10-year, upper 3% to low 4% range. And if you're able to go all the way down to the five-year, you can get down into the mid to upper 3% range. So uh, really, really great rates there. Like I said, historically low. And if you're interested in equipment to maintain your land, we also have some really great rates on equipment right now. If you're purchasing something new, we can do seven years on that for 3.4%. Five years, 3.35%, down to three years for 3.25%. So really great rates right now on land and equipment if you want to get something to maintain your land with. Those are awesome rates. I want to take you back to what you were talking about with the collateralized down payment. That's something very interesting. Does it have to be land? Does it have to be collateralized with a piece of owned land or could it be someone's primary residence or something like that? It can be. We typically stay away from that, but we are open to looking at anything when it comes to that. And in the event that you were looking at maybe a short-term land loan, like a five-year, we could possibly even look at taking equipment to cover that extra collateral if it was going to be a five-year deal. But yeah, we're open to looking at a land with home on it. Uh, Like I said, typically it's more simple if we do just land. If you have equity in a property, we'd definitely be willing to take a look at it and weigh out all the options to make it work out for you. Yeah. Nuts and bolts of it are is that you got a lot of options right now. Interest rates are really low. People need to reach out to you. And I mean, the other thing is y'all also have a a patronage as well. Talk a little bit about the patronage and what effectively what that can do for an annual interest rate. Our board of directors are all borrowers and local farmers, and they get together and vote on the patronage dividend that we're going to pay every year. So it's in their best interest to also pay the patronage as much as possible. And the patronage refund is based on the amount of business that you conduct with farm credit and how farm credit performs that year. So just for reference, in 2020, farm credit of Northwest Florida distributed $3.5 million back to our borrowers. So effectively, that's reducing your cost of borrowing. It's lowering your interest rate because you're getting money that you paid in in interest. You're getting that back. Yeah, absolutely. Through our patronage program. Yeah. It, it's something that most folks that are buying land, a lot of times it's first time, but not necessarily. They aren't aware of the farm credit system and they don't know that exists. And it's definitely a, an, an awesome thing. And I just like that you get money back. That always makes you feel good getting checks in the mail. Well, Logan, that's that's a good report with regards to the interest rates. I like to hear that they're remaining stable. Hopefully, we'll see that continue through Q1 2021. If folks want to reach out to you directly and take a look at their specific situation, how should they reach out to you and, and where can they go maybe if they're not near the Marianne office? Yeah, you can get to me through my cell phone, 850-209-0250. If you call any of our offices, we have an office in uh, Milton. We have an office in Mariana, Florida, which I'm at. We have an office in Tallahassee and an office in Monticello. And if you're unsure of who you need to be dealing with, just give one of those offices a call. They will definitely get you in the right place, get you to the right lender, whether you're looking into the home lending type stuff for construction and home loans, or you're looking to purchase land. They'll get you to the right place. You can visit our website at www.farmcredit.com 
Clint-FL.com. Clint, let's go back to what Logan was talking about pre-selling timber. What do folks need to understand about that process? I mean, are there some questions that they need to be thinking about asking, or are there some contract considerations they need to be thinking about when it comes to pre-selling timber? Yeah, I mean, you need to make sure that you read the fine print and that you understand the pros and cons of doing that. Pro is obviously you get the money up front. There's a time value of money benefit to you there from an interest standpoint on the loan. But at the same time, just like any other commodity, the timber market might go up. So you might have left some money on the table or it might go down. So you may be very thankful or regretful of that, depending on how you look at it. But that's just the way this goes. I mean, it's just no different than investing in soybeans or peanuts or anything else. That's just a a market risk you take every day. If you're only going to do a thinning on that advance, you want to make sure that you have extremely clear contract details. You've got a consultant or somebody representing you involved to oversee that because that's a lot more complicated than just a lump sum sale that's going to be a clear cut after the fact. So you just want to make sure that you're really focused on the terms and understand all of it, not just be focused on the money. Well, folks, this week's land interest rate update has been brought to you by SunSouth. If you're even thinking about a new tractor or outdoor equipment, don't miss the year-end sales event at SunSouth. You can save thousands on a new John Deere with 0% financing and payments under $250 a month on select models, like the John Deere 1025 compact utility tractor and loader, or for larger jobs, drive off in a John Deere 3025E with a loader from SunSouth for only $234 a month and 0% financing. Even John Deere Gators are on sale, including the 590M with 0% financing. Visit SunSouth for quality John Deere equipment you've been dreaming of or visit sunsouth.com. Offers expire December 31st, 2020. Some restrictions apply. See your dealer for details. Clint, the subject of today's show is choosing the best suppressor for your style of hunting. You and I both do a lot of big game hunting. We also have a hog problem on the properties that we hunt most frequently suppressors having been able to hunt with suppressors i love it i love it for a lot of different reasons we'll get into that a little bit more one of the issues i've had with suppressors is just there's a lot to figure out it seems like seems daunting to get one have you gone through the process yourself not yet but i plan to yeah well that's what we're going to cover today we're going to talk about some of the benefits of hunting with a suppressor what you need to look for if you're looking into the design of that suppressor uh, in the different considerations for what you're looking to hunt and then get into how to buy a suppressor. To do that, we're talking this week with Mike Pappas. He's the founder and field marshal of Dead Air Silencers. Mike, welcome to uh, Hunting Land, man. How's it been going for you this week? You know, great. I appreciate you gentlemen taking the time to have me on. Man, we're, uh, we're glad to have you and get you to share some of your knowledge of suppressors with us. Before we jump into the meat and potatoes, tell us a little bit about Dead Air and how you formed this company. Well, we're obviously a silencer company, and we, I guess like any small business, we saw a need and an opportunity and decided to go into business and try to make a go of it. Why do you think suppressors are just now catching on, seemingly so, just now catching on with hunters and with the shooting enthusiasts? Well, I think the average man on the street, per se, gets kind of a feel from movies and speaking with other people that's not always as realistic much like say the ar-15 you could say it's super scary but as you start to let's say you hunt hogs it can be pretty awesome and you're like oh that's not really scary it's actually it's actually a pretty good tool for this job so i think as people understand it a little bit more and they have the expectation that it's absolutely silent and that's just not the case yeah and and I see that all the time. People think it's going to be so silent that the other game around won't even hear it and that kind of thing. And I think that that most people think, well, you know, 
like sound, that's not that big a deal to me. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I've been shooting a, a rifle my whole life and I never needed a suppressor in that whole time. So why do I need one now? So let's talk about the, the benefits of hunting with a suppressor, not just being a shooter, but actually hunting with a suppressor. What do you see as the biggest reasons why people move to a suppressor that haven't otherwise had one? Well, and this may be kind of a odd take, but I'm just going to give you my personal experience on it. I think it's much like the muffler on your automobile. Look, you may like it to be super loud and drive around all loud and feel really good about it, but you know how many people you just annoy when you go down the street like that? It's very rude. For myself, hunting, man, I have had my freaking bell rung by other hunters. For me personally, as you're shooting, certainly you can put hearing protection on and make yourself comfortable, but everyone around you is not exactly sure when you're going to shoot. And I'm sure that you've been in many a situation where you've been walking through with someone, even if they had hearing protection on when they shot, you didn't, and you just weren't ready for it. And so I think in a group of hunters or hunting with another person i think it's very important to be cognizant of that other person's ears as it were (laughs) yeah well before we started recording you know clint and i were were talking about that and (laughs) he was talking about like you said having his bell rung by a neighboring landowner that was hunting maybe a hundred yards away from him and it's definitely something that and we've, I think every one of us has been out there hunting and, and has had to listen to a neighbor at some point have an afternoon of shooting. And like you said, oh, man. it gets a little Especially annoying. If shooting, if they're shooting hogs and go, oh, they got one. And then bam, 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 bam. <laughs> so, well, there was yeah. my afternoon hunt. Something that comes to my mind, I was deer hunting with a friend of mine. And he had a seven mag, totally common, great but he shot the head off of a sage hand and it was kind of half angled toward me. And man, that hurt. I didn't see the sage hand. I didn't know he was going to shoot. And I was like, I could have just made you a sandwich at camp and not had my bell rung so hard and had my ear ring for half the rest of the day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you don't realize too what kind of damage shooting can do to your hearing until it's too late in a lot of cases we've all talked to a guy who said yeah huh huh and then (laughs) yeah i had too many dove hunts when i was a kid you know it's like hearing protection is a no-brainer but one of the you know i've got a three-year-old and i'm bringing him up to be a hunter and a shooter hopefully but i remember as a young child when i first started being able to hunt big game and and shooting high-powered rifles that it's a lot for a kid to take that in and, and uh, it's a little bit scary. I mean, do you see a lot of guys moving to suppressors for their children or for shooters who, uh, you know, are a little bit uh, sensitive to recoil and to the sound uh, of a rifle? I absolutely do. And there's significant others speaking for me. I don't know that my daughters have ever really fired a firearm without a suppressor on it and they're totally comfortable with it. And I've just never, had the need to subject them to that noise yeah what about recoil does it benefit you i mean does it reduce some of the felt recoil i would tell you and this is if you can remember this this is probably a very good rule of thumb you know a small muzzle brake and a very aggressive very large muzzle brake a suppressor is going to lie right between those two okay for recoil reduction so it's I could get a bigger break that would reduce recoil more, but you're not going to match it with a very small break or a plain muzzle. I remember when I first started shooting and I think that hopefully, you know, you're wearing hearing protection and you've had good coaching and you don't ever develop a flinch, but the guns that I've shot that were extremely loud. Now I've shot guns that were much louder than others. And I believe that anticipating that sound can create a flinch as well. So it's definitely a benefit as far as that goes. What, what else? What, what are the other benefits to hunting with a suppressor? Well, speaking of what you say there, I'll give you an example of something that I did that was absolutely wonderful one day. I went prairie dog hunting in Montana. 
And my main rifle was a Barrett MRAD in 300 Win Mag, obviously with a can on it. And I shot a case of ammo that day. You couldn't even tell when I took my shirt off. There was no light bruising. It was very comfortable. I totally enjoyed the day. And I thought to myself, man, all the 22, 250 improved and all the normal calibers that you hunt with that, you can't compare any of those small cartridges as far as wind deflection to 300 wind mag. And I was able to reach out and make just some incredible shots that I couldn't have done with a 22 caliber anything. So it can actually open up some different things that you may not have thought about before. You know, and that I, recoil reduction, like you say, saved me and it was incredible. Well, the thing I, I like about what you're saying is that you were out there practicing with your hunting rifle. That's a hunting caliber. And that's correct. Now, when you're in the field, you've had a case of, <laughs> you've had a case of ammunition that you put <laughs> through that rifle. You're, you, you're getting used to that trigger. You're getting used to the feel of that gun. And we all know that's really important when it comes to taking a quick shot in the field and being confident in the field when conditions aren't at their best. Well, Talk and you're just not going to gain that experience without a suppressor because, you know, 40 rounds into it, you're done. Yeah, or less. I, I mean, yeah, you, <laughs> when you shoot a case of wind mag in a day and you're not fatigued at all, good times. That's the thing, too, that I've noticed shooting suppresses. It makes shooting fun, more fun. Plinking with a twenty two is a lot of fun. Shooting something that doesn't have much recoil and is a lot of fun. But, man, you start stepping up into the hunting calibers. It ain't a lot. Maybe other people have had different experiences. But for me personally, I'm not having a whole lot of fun just going out there and shooting a high-power rifle. I'm usually doing that to get to a result, either sighting in or practicing. And it makes practicing more fun. Definitely going to make you a, a better shooter. But you're talking about shooting a case of ammunition. How long does a suppressor, is it going to last shooting hunting style calibers? That's a great question. And I would tell you, let's just use a basic metallurgy. If you get metal hot, it gets weaker and it erodes faster. If you keep it cool, it's very erosion resistant. And the little micro pieces of unburnt powder are traveling at amazing speeds in that propellant gas and they will sandblast and erode your suppressor starting most aggressively on the blast baffle and the muzzle device and working their way down the suppressor through the baffles and kind of opening it up so if you keep the suppressor cool i like to tell people look let's just be honest if you had the money to put that much ammo through 30, 40,000 rounds of ammunition, you, you're probably too busy. And if you've got the time, you probably don't have enough money to spend the money on ammunition. I would consider it to be kind of a lifetime's use unless you did a lot of full auto on shorter barrels and just fired an enormous amount of ammunition for fun. Then you're going to cut the life maybe in half-ish. It, it just depends on how hot you get it. So it sounds like this is more of a, a lifetime purchase here. And as I'm looking towards my first one, and I, as a lot of friends of mine are too, and clients, versatility is something that we're really looking for, at least to start with. If we're looking for that universal suppressor that we can move from one weapon to another, any suggestions or, or advice there? Yes, absolutely. And that's, I think a unfathomable amount of people out there are asking themselves that same question right this very minute. I'll give you a little comparison. If you came to me and I was at an auto parts store or hardware store or Home Depot or whatever, and you said, I want to get a set of metric combination wrenches and a set of SAE wrenches, but I want to spend the very least amount of money. I would sell you a crescent wrench and that will fit both metric and standard. But as you start to use that crescent wrench, you'll soon find that it does not shine in most cases. The more universal that you get with a 
given suppressor on a the more different kinds of platforms you add to it probably the more poor results that you're going to get out of it in other words i would suggest a person to stay within kind of a certain size of calibers let me give you a little food for thought on that a 30 caliber high powered rifle suppressor is going to be pretty wonderful from 30 cal down to 22 cal but if you then go up a bore size to 33 cal and you want to shoot all of your lapua magnum or what have you through that anything that fits in 30 it's probably going to be golden down to 270 ish or so and up to 33 but it's probably going to start to lack when you get all the way down to 556 or 223 and again if you choose to go to 45 caliber as the through hole for your suppressor it's probably going to start to really slack off for you in performance when you get down to say 33 cal bore it's probably not going to be the greatest thing ever for 30 and certainly the 22 cal bores you're just going to have so much unsuppressed the bigger the through hole in your suppressor the more unsuppressed noise is going to come out of it you want to fill that with bullet diameter so it pushes the gas in and out of each chamber and through all the little ways that you move the gas around and slow it down you'll start to take away the efficiency of the design when you get too small of a projectile going through it that what, makes sense it makes sense to me I, what i'm hearing you say is that you as a hunter you need to think about the calibers that you're really wanting to suppress the most yes and when that's going to be most important to you and then, and then choose a suppressor that's going to work the best for that scenario and then will work okay for some of these fringe scenarios but you're probably once you start shooting suppress you're probably just going to want to get more suppressors is that a good synopsis yes i would to put it in just kind of a number kind of a thing so you can kind of imagine if you shoot a lot of 4570 and 458 cellcom and 22250 and 556 i want you to get two suppressors mm-hmm you're spanning too big of a gap to be very comfortable and i would tell you as you buy them one at a time i would tell you to choose the one that's most important to you and then get a secondary one you were talking a little bit about design in that if you've got a 30 caliber suppressor and you're shooting 22 caliber bullets there's going to be some unsuppressed when you're shooting that smaller diameter so let's get into a little bit more of the design okay What do we need to know about suppressors? What do hunters really need to know? Most guys, truthfully, probably don't care that much about the design. They just want it to work. But but if somebody's looking at different models and they want to know what's important when it comes to baffles or weight or metal composition, give us a little rundown of the, the basic design of a suppressor and what people need to be thinking about. Okay, first I will answer that question by telling you how it works and what makes it function and the main thing that you're dealing with there and yes i know everyone's going to say it's the speed of the projectile it does have a sonic crack on it and i get that and there's nothing you can do about that and that particular noise isn't really all that loud in the grand scheme of things but you have a temperature differential so let's say i have a oxygen acetylene torch and i turn it on oxygen and acetylene but i haven't lit it and you can barely hear that it's on but when i strike it and light it and my flame is 2500 degrees well you're gonna have to yell to talk over it so when you fire a rifle the big boom that you hear is this superheated air that's blasted out into the ambient temp is where all the noise comes from. Another way of putting it is lightning is 
actually silent. Current flow makes no noise, but it's the heat that it generates that makes thunder. So when you get a million volts of electricity grounding out, it will make a house shaking thunder. So what you're trying to do there is slow those gases down and sink that heat out of the propellant gas onto the suppressor, therefore cooling the exit temp of the gas that comes out of the distal end of the suppressor or the muzzle end, if you will. And that's kind of how it works. So a larger suppressor with more volume is going to sink more heat off the propellant gas. So that's you why your K-can is louder than your longer full rifle can. Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask you is for thinking about trying to sink that heat, as you put it, do more baffles create more ability to do that? Or is it the size yes. of those baffles? How does that work? It's just surface area, however you want to look at it. You could make it two inches in diameter and not as long, or you could make it an inch and a half in diameter and longer and come up with the same square inch of surface area on the inside. So from our perspective, it's a little game of, if you disrupt the gases too much and make it too turbulent and hold the gases too long, when the projectile unsteals from the muzzle, your propellant gas is going to be traveling about 6,000 feet per second. And your projectile is only going to be going, let's say, half that 3,000 feet per second. So that gas will get out ahead of the projectile. And if you disrupt it and make these little jets of gas, like super high pressure wind in there, it will start to push the projectile around as it goes through that gas. So from our perspective, it's how much can you disrupt the gas? How long can you make it sit there and swirl and pressure up and leak back out of your baffle design without disrupting the flight path of the bullet? So if I'm hearing you correct, if you were willing to take the penalty in size or the penalty in weight, you could work to get your suppressor much quieter. Is there a limit to that though? Because I mean, yes. as I'm thinking about this from a hunter's perspective, a lot of times we're hunting, we're in a bench rest style position. It could be in a tree stand or maybe it's prone on the ground or we're in a blind of some sort. We don't really care how much that weapon weighs because we're not holding it up, you know, free-handed. But then there are those scenarios where we're shooting free-handed and weight's a real consideration. So what do y'all shoot for, for a hunting style suppressor in terms of weight? Well, I would say that as light as you're possibly going to get, and I'm just going to give you a general kind of a industry overall is going to be in the 10 or 12 ounce weight. And that would be a titanium suppressor. Now, your titanium cans are certainly going to last forever on bolt guns and slow rates of fire, but they would quickly fell if you got very aggressive with them on semi-auto or auto, which you could do a little bit, but you wouldn't want to make it your mainstay for more aggressive rates of fire. So for a hunting caliber and a gun that, like you say, we're, we're not shooting this very rapidly. The most rapid shooting I can think of would be in a hog hunting type scenario where maybe we're going to shoot 30 rounds rapidly. That's still not happening a lot. And not a problem at all. That's not going to be a problem. Do you give up anything? You, you know, you're saying titanium with that metal composition. Why choose what? Does it come down to cost and bringing it to the consumer at a cost that they want? Or are there metals that are just superior for construction of a suppressor? Well, I think that you always have an economic constraint. And yes, titanium cans are lighter and they're certainly more expensive than 316 or 17 for Stellite even, or Inconel for that matter. So you certainly have a cost. If you're going to hike into your hunting stand, it might be worth a couple hundred extra bucks to cut the weight near in half. Brings to mind just kind of a, a functional question 
for guys that are hunting suppressed, are they carrying suppressed all the time or are they kind of carrying their suppressor with them and then putting it on when they're to their stand, so to speak, or a mix of both? Do you find that this is something that if you were doing more of a spot and stock style hunt that you can do it with a suppressor? Yes, I would think that you would attach at the truck and then start your hunt. I've never seen anyone carry the suppressor and then attach it a field. I would think you'd just assemble it and go and keep it that way. What about attachment considerations? Do all suppressors attach the same way? We've obviously seen, you know, threaded barrels at this point, but is there anything to be considering when it comes to how that suppressor attaches? Yes, I think there absolutely is. And we make three different methods of attachment. So we make direct thread just right onto your barrel threads and done. We make a mount that's called a Xeno mount that is a threaded taper. You install a muzzle device, flash hider or muzzle brake onto your barrel threads and tighten it down. And then it has larger threads in a taper that you basically directly thread it on and seat it on this taper. And then we make a QD mount, which is called a chemo mount from us. And it is less than a turn, quick QD on and off, drop and twist and tighten down and go. For your audience, the Xeno mount is likely what you're going to want. Why is that? What is the advantage of having that muzzle device included? Direct thread seating on the muzzle or the shoulder, however it works out for your particular style of threading, will inevitably and at some point always come loose. And this may be 100 rounds, 200 rounds, but you're going to want to play a little game of making sure that it's tight. When you add a larger set of threads in a large taper and you tighten it down, it acts much as your lug nut. I would explain it much like an automotive lug nut. It is a threaded taper. And once you tighten a lug nut down onto that taper and, you know, of course, saying that you get correct torque, it will never come loose. And that is kind of the same idea with our threaded taper mount. It's lighter. It's super simple. You thread it on and then just hand tighten it firmly down and you'll never have to worry about it coming loose. And again, as a newbie to suppressor, what are the steps we need to take to make sure that we're doing it legally? It's actually not very complicated to purchase. Your gun store that you're going to go through, let's say, in whatever state it may be, it's irrelevant. They'll have the suppressor. You're going to purchase that suppressor from them. And then they will fill out a ATF Form 4. You sign it. You just add fingerprints and put a picture on it. Send it to the ATF. And I think wait times right now are hovering around six months or so. When that gets approved by the ATF, it comes back to the gun store. They call you. You 4473, log it off the books, and away you go. You've got a suppressor registered to you. Some people make it out to be a little harder than it is, but it's very simple. You could add a caveat of a trust into there, and that adds a little bit of a level of complexity because you need to get a trust made and then submit that trust with it. That can increase your wait time a little bit as the ATF makes sure that your trust is good, not just doing a background check on an individual. Really not that hard. Talking about the trust example, why would somebody want to own a suppressor within a trust as opposed to own it personally? If you had yourself in a situation where you wanted to trade suppressors back and forth, then the people that you wanted to do that with, you would put on your trust. Each time that you purchased a new suppressor, you would need to get fingerprints and pictures from all the people that are on your trust. But let me ask you this. I know people say that, but then I like to ask the person this question. How many times in your life have you loaned a rifle or pistol to another person? Most people can probably count that on one hand. 
if someone wants to get a suppressor or a rifle, they inevitably will just buy one. Personally, I don't do a lot of trust, but look, hey, if that works better for you, then do a trust. I'm certainly not against that. Great way to go if that fits your situation better. But otherwise, if, if you have a suppressor on a weapon, it's owned by owned by Joe, and Joe wants to let his child shoot that weapon, he needs to be. I'm going to have to be present for him. Yes, to, sir. For him to do that, I'm not going to be allowed to let him take it and go off and hunt on his own. I've got to be physically present. Well, the way that the ATF kind of lines that out, and then you can put your own situation to it, is you need to be in control of it to some degree. So say you hand it to someone, you may not physically be in control of it, but you could still give them direction. You could have your kid hike up a mountain and across and meet you at the bottom of a river. That I don't think anyone's going to say that it's out of your control at that point. Right, right. Well, talking about tax stamps, that's that thing you got to do. Do you have to get a new one each time you get a suppressor or does one stamp yeah. cover multiples? You know, and I've had this same thought at the DMV. I have five cars in my family and I'm like, but why do I have to keep registering them all? Like how much money are you people going to get from me? The ATF looks at it the same way. You have to register each one. Right. You can't just add a boat and a four-wheeler to your mix. You have They make you pay. <laughs> I maybe left out one thing that could be very important to people. If you find a retailer that has a kiosk, and there's a couple different brands of them, we've worked with Silencer Shop on their kiosk, and that's a, that's a little machine that will take your fingerprints and your picture and do everything right then and there. That's a very, very easy way to purchase a suppressor as well. Food for thought. Well, Mike, I know tons and tons and tons of guys who just haven't done it for, for that exact reason. And like you say, it's not as hard as it's made out to be, but the one little extra hoop you got to jump through has, has prevented them from doing it. So what I'm really hearing you say is go talk to your local retailer and they're going to be able to point you in the right direction and tell you what you need to do in it. It's not that big a deal. You're looking at, if you go today, you're, you're going to be hunting in six months, most likely, hunting yeah. suppressed. Yes. I find it much easier than going through the process of getting married. <laughs> 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 oh, well, Mike, that's good, man. I, I feel like we've really covered it all when it comes to why you'd want to get into a suppressor and then how you can get into a suppressor. But if folks want to look at y'all's line of suppressors and maybe check out your dealer network where they can go and start this process where what's the best way to look up more information on dead air well we have a website of course deadairsilencers.com we have instagram facebook and you could find us at probably most retailers out there in the country you could also do any kind of internet search, YouTube or what have you, and get a lot of third-party opinions that may help you decide if dead air silencers is right for you. We're certainly out there and very easy to find. Well, Mike, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate you sharing your knowledge on dead air. Wish you the best with 2021. No, again, thank you, and right back at you. Clint, there's something to be said for speed. I talking about suppressors here of course and most people would get one if they could just go buy one right now and take it yep. hunting this weekend we see that a lot in the land industry too don't we yep that's a lot of urgency out there 2020 was a year for me where i saw a lot of competitive offers on land which isn't all that normal but what was surprising to me was that it wasn't always the highest bidder that won a lot of times it was the simpler offer it was the it was the folks that could get it closed the soonest you seeing the same thing yeah yeah we had that yesterday on a track that we had two offers come in basically within 24 hours of each other one was priced actually six or seven percent higher than the one that ultimately won out just because we presented both to the landowners and one was clean 
you sign this and we've got a contract and we're going to do our title search and we're going to close. The other one had due diligence periods and conditions and a lot of things which may be understandable from that buyer's scope. But as far as the landowners were concerned, it meant more to them to have the cleaner terms and to go on and close so that they knew that when they signed that contract, they had a deal. That ability to close clean and close quick is, carries a lot of weight. No doubt. And if you're thinking about buying this year, I can't, we say it a lot, but go get approved. Talk to your farm credit bank near you and get approved before you start that process because it dang sure makes your offer a lot better when you don't have that thing out there waiting in the wings. But folks, that is going to wrap it up this week. If you want to get the Hunting Land podcast, the minute it's available, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377. Again, just text the word hunting to 773-770-4377 and you'll join our email list and get the new show each week. As always, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts and drop us a review or send us your show ideas. You got something you want us to talk about? We want to hear from you. Just email us at pros at landhunting.com and we will definitely take your show ideas into consideration. Until next time, y'all stay safe out there. We'll talk to you next week. This week's Huntland podcast is brought to you by Bucks Island Marine. They have new pontoon boats, bass boats, bow riders, and aluminum boats for sale. They provide boat service on all kinds of boats, even if they weren't purchased from Bucks. You can visit them at 4500 Highway 77 in Southside, Alabama, or give them a call at 256-442-2588. And also brought to you by Wildlife Management Solutions. The experts at Wildlife Management Solutions can guide you on selecting the best forage for your soils and goals. So give them a call at 877-400-8089 or check out their website with more information and a full dealer list at productsforwildlifemanagement.com. This week's show has been brought to you by Joe Baya and Clint Flowers, members of the top producing team at National Land Realty, the fastest growing and most innovative land brokerage in the nation. Bottom line, we know land, and now is a great time to buy or sell. Want to know why? Shoot us an email at pros at landhunting.com or call us at 855-NLR-LAND. And also, SunSouth. From outdoor equipment, parts, service, accessories, SunSouth has you covered. Own the best for less. Visit SunSouth or sunsouth.com for quality John Deere equipment. SunSouth, for those that do. And also brought to you by Great Days Outdoors Magazine. Great Days Outdoors Magazine guides you on hunting and fishing south of the Mason-Dixon. Become a better southern hunter and angler and pick up your copy today. Wherever fine magazines are sold or save online at greatdaysoutdoors.com.